Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Randy Mitchell. Jesus said to his disciples, Ye are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Salt and Light confronts the difficult and often controversial issues that affect today's culture. The only hope for this generation is for more people to follow Jesus Christ and for his followers to be salt and light in their community. Pastor Randy will discuss the Bible solutions to help us know what God says about the problems we face today. Salt and Light is a ministry of Temple Baptist Church in Statesville, North Carolina. Here's your host, Pastor Randy Mitchell. Good morning and welcome to Salt and Light. I'm Pastor Randy Mitchell and it is a pleasure and a joy to be with you here this morning. Uh, I'm doing something here this morning on Salt and Light that I don't do very often and that is I am flying solo. And so this entire broadcast here today, it is just me. And so you are stuck with me. You're going to have to put up with me. And um, so I know some, uh, some preachers wake up in the morning on Sunday morning uh, trying to find something to say. And then they say other preachers wake up Sunday morning because they have something to say. Well, I know that uh, for an hour here, uh, most preachers, if we spend any time in the Word of God at all, it's no problem filling an hour. I find it on Sunday mornings especially that when I want to preach shorter, I have a hard time keeping those sermons short. And I try not to go too long. I'm always mindful, and I try to be conscious of that. But, uh, you know, when it comes down to it, once I dive into the truth and the Bible, start talking about what God has to say, I get pretty intense about uh, getting that message across. And so anyhow, bottom line, welcome to the broadcast, and we are looking forward to uh, hopefully a good time uh, with the Lord and in the Lord here today. And we certainly hope that uh, even though it's early Tuesday morning, we hope that you are thus far having a good day. So uh, Tuesday morning, this is Thanksgiving week, and I'd like to just say a few things about Thanksgiving. Uh, first of all, if you are uh, interested in coming to Temple Baptist Church this week, please make note that our Wednesday night service is moved to Tuesday night. We do this every year because Wednesday evening is usually a big food prep uh, day for the ladies. And so rather than uh, people thinking about what they need to be doing, getting ready for Thanksgiving dinner on Thursday, we just moved our midweek service to Tuesday. There's nothing in the Bible that says that we have to have church on a Wednesday night, a Tuesday night, or even a Thursday night. So anyhow, we, we do that. But we would love for you to join us tonight at 7 o'clock for our Thanksgiving service, and uh, we encourage our folks to give Thanksgiving testimonies because uh, there is something special about when God's people start expressing gratitude and thanksgiving for all the things that God has done for us. And folks, he has done a lot. And oftentimes we rob ourselves of joy and blessings because we forget to express thankfulness to God. Here's a couple Bible verses that uh, really are in line with what I'm saying. And uh, first of all, Psalm 95, verse number two says, let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. That tells, uh, tells us that God wants us to come before his presence. Oftentimes we think about prayer as just uh, throwing up our words toward heaven and that perhaps maybe God hears our words, but according to the Bible, when we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, and if, when we pray by the merits of Jesus Christ, we are literally 
in the presence of God. Spiritually speaking, we are in his presence, and he says to come before his presence with thanksgiving. Before you ever ask God for anything, we all ought to, first of all, thank him for as many things as we can think of. If you're saved, you should always thank God for your salvation. All the different things that God has given you, done for you, uh, I like. I remember my daughter Anna when she was just a three or four year old girl, and we'd be um, give, making our bedtime prayers, and she would be bowed there on her bed, and she would always say, "Thank you for you, Lord." Before she'd thank him for anything that he did, she would say, "Thank you for you." And I always think about that, and we should always thank the Lord for him for who he is. Psalm 100 and verse number 4 says, Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. I wonder how much better our lives would be if we would just learn to instinctively be more thankful. Uh, we have plenty to, to gripe and whine and complain about. Uh, there's all kinds of things that are wrong with our society and culture and uh, things that are going wrong uh, all around the world, things certainly going wrong in Washington, D.C., and certainly things are going wrong uh, in Hollywood and so many things that we could complain about. But uh, before we ever get to complaining and whining, we ought to just spend some time giving thanks. And I, I believe that we would find that if we would do that, uh, we'd realize how blessed we are and we really don't have anything to complain about. I have known Christians that when you ask them how they're doing, uh, they instinctively say, better than I deserve. And uh, I think that that's a lot of truth to that. We are always, uh, every day, even when things aren't going well, we are always doing better than what we deserve. Psalm 116 and verse number 17 says, I will offer to thee the sacrifice of thanksgiving and will call upon the name of the Lord. The sacrifice of thanksgiving. If you are a student of the Bible, you know that in the Old Testament, under the, under the Levitical law, there were certain animal sacrifices. Some sacrifices were the offering up of grain or uh, drink offerings and different things. There were money offerings, but many of the offerings were blood sacrifices in which the life of another animal, whether it be a lamb, whether it be a goat, whether it be a bullock, whether it be a dove, uh, they would offer those sacrifices before the Lord. Well, we don't offer blood sacrifices in the New Testament because Jesus, all of those Old Testament sacrifices pointed toward the supreme sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. And so that Old Testament law was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So we don't have to worry about those type of sacrifices. So God says what we can offer to him is the sacrifice of thanksgiving. And believe me, sometimes it is a sacrifice. Uh, I don't always feel thankful, do you? Sometimes I am, I am under my circumstances, and my circumstances have gotten the best of me. I've had days where I just feel a little bit downtrodden and depressed and discouraged, and I know you do as well. We all do. And those are the times when we offer thanksgiving to the Lord, and it's a sacrifice. It's not 
It's not natural. We're not feeling it, but we know that it's the right thing to do. I believe with all of my heart that oftentimes those are the sacrifices that are well-pleasing to the Lord. When the Lord sees that we are giving him thanks, even though we're not feeling it, uh, he accepts that as the Bible talks about a sweet-smelling savor. That sacrifice comes up before the presence of the Lord, and it pleases him, and it satisfies him. One more before the break, Colossians 3.15 says, Let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and listen to this, and be ye thankful. That means that God is telling us, be ye thankful. You can call it a commandment if you want, an admonishment, but God is telling us and teaching us that what we need to be is thankful. And so thank God for this holiday of Thanksgiving. We'll be celebrating this week, but let's not just have food. Let's all Welcome back. Pastor Randy Mitchell here, uh, flying solo. Uh, just me today. I don't have a co-host here today. Had some plans for one. It did not work out. And so uh, anyhow, wasn't enough time to get a replacement, but uh, that's okay. I am happy to be with you, and I have a lot of things to say. I don't have to share the baton with anyone. I get to just tell you what, uh, what I'd like to say here today. And so uh, there's certainly some Uh, positive uh, aspects of that. Uh, Well, here lately, folks, if you are a regular listener or viewer of Salt and Light, you know that we have been having some salvation testimonies. We've had Pastor Jason Boger, um, Pastor John Whalen. Uh, Last week, we had Brother Chuck Whittington, faithful member of Temple Baptist Church, and so on. For really the last three or four weeks, we've started out the broadcast with salvation testimonies. I love to hear how people come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. I've said this before. It certainly is worth repeating. Uh, There are many, many different ways that people get to Jesus Christ. Some people are raised in a Christian home. Some people come to Christ through church. Sometimes it's through the witness. I know people who have come to Christ because somebody left a piece of gospel literature, a gospel tract, and they took it and they read it, and the Holy Spirit spoke to their heart, and they bowed their head and their heart, and they trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior. I know people that have come to Christ through tragedy, through, uh, through going down the wrong road and finding themselves uh, literally lost and undone and recognizing just how messed up that their life was, and they start searching for something that's real and something that's right. And through that, God would send a witness, or perhaps maybe they already knew the gospel. And, um, you know, I think about when I got right with the Lord— I already knew the gospel. I didn't need a preacher or a parent or anyone uh, telling me what I needed to do. I already knew. But that moment when I was all by myself, just me and God, uh, that's when God got through to me. And I just said, God, I'm making a mess of my life. And God, I I, want to turn my heart toward you. So regardless of how you get to Jesus Christ, I want to emphasize here this morning that while there are many ways to get to Jesus— Rest assured, 
This is the absolute truth. There is only one way to get to God, only one way to heaven, and that is through Jesus Christ. You can get to Jesus different ways, but if you're going to get to God, it is going to be through Jesus Christ. And uh, that road is narrow, and it is straight. And uh, Jesus said himself, these are red-letter words if you have a red-letter Bible. Jesus said in John 14, verse number 6, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And so all the religions of the world, people think that, well, as long as you're sincere, one religion is as good as another, not according to Jesus Christ. According to Jesus Christ, if he's the Son of God and he is the truth, then uh, there is only one way to get to heaven, and that is through Jesus Christ. And so uh, I'm thankful that the Word of God is clear and plain regarding uh, uh, salvation. Well, there are some needful conversations about salvation. As I mentioned, we've heard various testimonies of how people came to the Lord. It reminds me of my own personal testimony. I came to Jesus Christ as a five-year-old boy. Shared a little bit of this uh, here in recent weeks, but uh, I I was just a five-year-old boy. My mom took me to an evangelistic crusade. Caldwell, Idaho, Simplot Stadium, some of you have heard of J.R. Simplot. He was the, that's the company that makes McDonald's french fries. And so they sponsored this uh, high school f- uh, ball stadium, football uh, at the time. Now it's just, I think, baseball. But uh, they had this evangelistic crusade. It would have been uh, somewhere around 1971 there in Caldwell, Idaho. My mom took me to that crusade, and I heard a man named John Wesley White a preacher from Toronto, Canada, part of the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, one of the itinerant evangelists, and I heard him preach. I couldn't tell you what he preached other than I know he preached about Jesus. And I know, I remember that it touched my heart. I was interested. And so the next day, my grandma was babysitting me. I'm just five years old. Mom was at work. She came to pick me up after work, and um, and so uh, my grandma and my mom were talking about uh, this evangelistic crusade, and she said, well, we're not planning on going back tonight. Well, I was wanting to go back. And so um, my grandma said, uh, Darlene, you need to take him. And she is a godly Christian lady. She perceived that the Holy Spirit was working in my heart. And so mom changed her mind, and she took me to that evangelistic crusade that next night. And uh, at the end of the the message, I asked her if I could go forward. And she said, uh, you can, but you have to go by yourself. I think she wanted to make sure that that I was sincere, that I understood. Well, Semplot Stadium, if you go there today, it just looks like a little high school stadium. But to a five-year-old boy, in my mind, it was like being at the top row of Yankee Stadium. I mean, it's like you look down at the, the field where the preacher was. In my mind, it's like that was 100 yards away. But it wasn't that far. But it seemed like a long, a lot of steps to go down to get down to that field. I walked every one of them walked out there on the field. They had a counselor that met me. Don't know what, the, don't remember what they looked like, don't remember their name, but they talked to me 
and uh, opened up the Bible and uh, led me in a prayer. And I knelt there on a metal folding chair right in the middle of the grass of a ball field. And uh, there I asked Jesus Christ to be my Savior. I don't know any, uh, you know, people have salvation testimonies and they tell about how different that they felt and how wonderful it was. I, I don't remember a lot of details. I just remember the sincerity of my heart. And uh, there were several times later on in life that I wanted to go forward and make sure. Uh, I would ask my dad, can, can I go forward? And he said, well, son, are you, aren't, aren't you already saved? And, well, I think so, Dad, but I just don't remember a lot about it, and I want to make sure. I didn't know it at the time, but that's a typical response to a childhood conversion. When people get saved at a young age, if it's sincere and if it's genuine, oftentimes um, that young person will want to make sure. Well, anyhow, I, I did that several times, and um, but when I got into high school, I got bitter against church, bitter against God. A number of things were happening, and I, I just I got out there in the world, and I turned my back on living a Christian life, and I started living like many of my friends at high school were living, and I got pretty messed up. But uh, after about four years of being under conviction, uh, several times I knew God took me behind his woodshed. He eventually got through to me, and just before I turned 20, uh, I got right with the Lord. And after I got right with the Lord, my life drastically changed. And after that, I, I struggled with some things like, well, did I get saved when I was 19 or did I get saved when I was five? I knew what the Bible said. I knew when I was five that I was genuinely asked, I genuinely asked Jesus to save me. But because I experienced something so powerful when I was 19, it made me wonder, saved at five or saved when I was 19? And so it caused me some confusion. And because of that confusion, it drove me into the Bible for answers. I talked to my pastor, who uh, ended up eventually becoming my father-in-law. We had a good, close relationship. He spent a lot of time uh, coaching me, showing me scriptures, talking to me. I would talk to several different pastors, um, and uh, it seemed like no man was able to help me. The only thing that helped me was the Word of God. Now, I'd come across some Bible passages that would cause me to doubt my salvation, uh, I didn't understand the context, and I didn't know exactly what was being said. And so because of that, sometimes it would cause me to lose my assurance of salvation. But the vast majority of the Bible text that I would read would lead me toward a place of assurance. And it's kind of like what the Apostle Paul said. He said in 1 Timothy, he said, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Paul didn't necessarily say, I know when I believed. He said, I know whom I have believed. And when I struggled with my assurance, I had to come to the point where it didn't really matter to me the when. I just had to, had to know in my heart of hearts that I was trusting Jesus Christ as my Savior. During that time of losing assurance, I tried to get saved again and again and again. 
but the problem was as I was dealing with doubts and fears, and I just wanted some relief from those doubts and fears. And the Lord never, at least from my experience, he didn't answer those prayers. And I got frustrated. Sometimes I thought, well, maybe God doesn't want to save me. But my problem all along is I was putting too much trust in feelings, and I was putting, I was focusing too much on comparing my testimony to the testimony of other people that I would hear in church. And it caused me a lot of confusion. Uh, Finally, I came to the point of frustration as I'm reading my Bible and I'm praying, I'm trying to get this settled. No matter what I did, it seemed like God didn't want to save me. Well, the problem all along was not that God didn't want to save me. The problem was that God had already saved me, and he couldn't save me again. You know, the Bible says when we're saved, we're saved to the uttermost. And so God's not going to answer a prayer that is not according to truth. And for me asking God to save me when I'm already saved, God couldn't answer that because it it wouldn't have been the truth. And so it would have just caused me further confusion, and God is not the author of confusion. Now, I know that for me... I believe the devil was causing me some doubts and fears. He was causing me to lose my assurance because my heart had turned to the Lord, and I was trying to follow the Lord. Now, when I was out there in the world living in sin, I I would tell people, yeah, I'm saved. I believe in Jesus Christ. I never doubted it, not one minute. But when I got right with the Lord, then I started doubting it. Why? Because then I was in a spiritual battle And the devil, I think I got on the devil's radar, and he did everything he could to try to get me off track. I want to talk more about this after the break, so stay tuned, and uh, we'll talk more about it. Welcome back. Uh, Pastor Randy Mitchell here. I've been sharing a little bit about my personal testimony, talking a little bit about salvation, assurance of salvation. Uh, I, I, it seems like that just about any, uh, any challenge that you can go through in the Christian life, it seems like early on uh, the Lord allowed me to go through those challenges. And uh, it wasn't pleasant at the time. I, I can remember being so miserable when I was doubting my salvation. And uh, what caused me to doubt was just hearing other people's testimony. And it's like, well, that's not how it was with me. Or maybe uh, I heard preachers that I'd be in a, a church service and it would get emotional. And, and I can remember one event particularly where the preacher uh, was preaching something, and many of God's people were shouting and praising the Lord and being overwhelmed with emotion. And, and I'm sitting there, and, and I'm enjoying it, but I'm not feeling compelled to shout or get all emotional. And the preacher would make a statement that something to the effect of, well, if that doesn't make you want to shout, then I doubt you're saved. And so I'd be a young, impressionable man, and I'd think, well, well, maybe I'm not saved because I'm not experiencing everything just like them. Those were the type of things that even though the preacher was no doubt well-intentioned, for me, the devil used that to just make me miserable in doubts and fears. And through that time period, I'm thankful for it, even though it was so miserable. 
I'm thankful because it drove me into the Bible. Uh, I became very familiar with the Bible, and not only just reading it, but also uh, it was life or death to me to figure out what these passages mean. You know, so many people say, well, I don't, I, I don't understand the Bible. There were a lot of things I didn't understand. But when I felt like that it was heaven or hell, life or death, it forced me to, to apply myself and to really try to learn and to know the Bible for myself. I didn't want to be trusting in my religion, the church that I attended. I didn't want to have to put my confidence in any man. I wanted to know from the Word of God, God's Word himself, whether or not that I was saved. And so God allowed me to go through that. And something that I learned through that whole process is this, that salvation is simple, but it's not easy. Uh, you know, we, we've got a lot of folks, I'm sure that many of you that are listening here this morning, that uh, you perhaps have prayed a prayer. I know a lot of people that if you ask them, are you saved? They'll say, oh yeah, of course I am. You know, and, and a lot of times what they mean by that is maybe they are a believer in God, they have faith, they believe that God exists, and, you know, I'm reminded of what the Word of God says in James chapter 2, verse number 19. James is dealing with this concept of easy believism, and he said, Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. But then he says, The devils also believe and tremble. You know, just because you say, I believe in God, that doesn't mean that you're saved. There are plenty of people. The devil himself believes in God. He believes in God more than you and I do. He's seen God. But um, just believing that God exists, just believing that Jesus existed some 2,000 years ago, that doesn't mean that a person has been truly saved or born again. Salvation is simple but it's not easy. How can you say it's easy when you think about what Jesus had to do on the cross of Calvary, how that he laid down his life, he was brutally crucified, he was emotionally, um, I mean, what he went through emotionally there on the cross of Calvary when he bore our sins. According to the Bible, he took all of the sins of the human race and he bore them in his body on the tree. Now, I personally believe that, that when that happened in that moment of time is when Jesus cried out with a loud voice and he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I believe with all of my heart that when Jesus became our sin for us, because he, he never committed any sin, when he bore our sin, that was the moment in all eternity when his heavenly Father, God the Father, literally had to turn his back on the sun. Uh, the sun didn't shine, and, and I mean, you talk about a spiritual and an emotional suffering. Jesus went through all of that, all of our guilt, all of our shame, all of that wickedness and, and, and that separation from God. Jesus bore that on the cross of Calvary. I, I just find it difficult to use the term easy when I think about salvation. But I do like the Bible term of simplicity. In fact, Paul warned the church at Corinth. He said, I fear lest by any means as the serpent 
beguiled Eve through his subtlety. You know, when when the serpent, when Satan started tempting Eve, what did he do? He complicated that which God had made simple. God had made it so simple. He said, all the trees of the garden you may freely eat, but the tree that is in the midst of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou mayest not eat thereof, for the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. That's simple. God says, eat all you want of all the other trees, don't eat of this tree. Well, the devil comes in and starts asking very guided questions and trying to get Eve to think differently. And Paul says that just like the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, he said, I fear that your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Salvation is a simple thing. I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. God provided the Savior in Jesus Christ. All I have to do is receive it, believe it, and according to the Bible, then I can be saved. But that's a spiritual, there has to be something that happens there that God does. God has to do the saving. And salvation is a spiritual thing that happens to us. It's not just a name it, claim it. I have known people in the past that would go out knocking on doors and try to win souls for the Lord, and I think that's a good thing. I think that witnessing, telling of people about Jesus is a wonderful thing. But I've known some of them that uh, it was almost like they, they were counting how many souls that they could get to pray a prayer. And they would talk people with very guided questions. They'd knock on the door and say, tell them who they are, and then ask them questions like, well, do you, would you like to go to heaven when you die? And, of course, you know, who's going to say, no, I'd rather go to hell? Most people are going to say, yeah, I want to go to heaven. And then they'll say, well, if you'll pray this prayer, you know, you can go to heaven. And they'll talk them into praying a prayer and then walk away saying, well, they got saved. Well, folks, just praying a prayer or just saying the right things, religious deeds and things like that don't bring salvation. Salvation is a work that comes from God. Listen to what Jesus said in John 6, verse 44. He says, no man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Folks, if you are saved, then you need to remember a time in your life when you were not just responding through peer pressure or doing what you thought your parents or the preacher wanted you to do or your friends were doing. Uh, And it wasn't just, it has to be more than just, hey, let's get my free ticket to heaven. I know so many people that that was what their testimony is. I'm going to get my free ticket to heaven, and then I'm just going to keep living however I want to live. Folks, That there's something wrong with the heart when people have that kind of a mentality. Now listen to John chapter 3 and verse number 16. I know many of you are familiar with this passage. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, 
because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Too many people think that, well, I have to commit some horrible sin in order to disqualify me from heaven. According to what Jesus said, we come into this world disqualified from heaven. Uh, I mean, it says we are already condemned. And what we need to do is, is admit that and accept that, that, hey, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner by nature. I came into this world as a sinner. All the sins that I've committed are just a demonstration of who I really am. And once we acknowledge that, once we come face to face with the reality of our sinfulness, then and only then can we recognize. It's like the person who goes to the doctor. You're not going to take the cure, especially if the cure is a life-changing cure. You're not going to take the cure unless you fully acknowledge that you have the disease and that you need to be cured. Salvation's the same way. We come into this world condemned, and the only way that we can get out of that condemnation, be rescued from it, is by believing in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Now, Paul told the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians 13 and verse number 5, he said, Examine yourselves, whether ye be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates. So there is certainly a time I shared with you that when early on, after I got right with the Lord, God changed my life. I felt like a new creature in Christ Jesus. Things are going great, wonderful. I'm reading the Bible. I'm growing leaps and bounds, making changes in my life as the Holy Spirit would lead me to. And then the devil comes along and just pulls the rug right out from underneath me, and I start doubting. And I, I continued to serve the Lord. I continued to do right. But the devil was trying to do everything he could to destroy me. And I had to come to that point. I'd read this verse here about examining myself, uh, whether I'm in the faith or not. And uh, that's something that we all need to do. Now, when I was struggling with assurance and doubts and fears, I probably spent too much time looking in the spiritual mirror, so to speak. I spent too much time analyzing my motives and my heart, trying to remember every detail about when I was five years old or when I came forward again when I was nine. And there were all these things that I was totally focusing inward at my experience rather than focusing upward on what Jesus Christ had done for me. And that's where I had to come to the point where, just like the Apostle Paul, I know whom I have believed. I came to the point, folks, where I knew that I didn't deserve to go to heaven. I had to acknowledge to God, look, God, if you send me to hell, you will be righteous because that's what I deserve. But Lord, if I go to hell, I'm going to hell trusting Jesus Christ as my Savior. When I got to that point, assurance. Welcome back. We are talking about salvation, about assurance, uh, doubts and fears, and so forth. And uh, there are some uh, some conversations about salvation that certainly we need to talk about. Uh, many of you listening uh, are 
professing Christians. Uh, I hope and I trust, I hope that uh, many of you are truly born again. I know from experience that probably many of you that are listening are not saved, and uh, we want you to be saved. And it's important, you know, even if you aren't interested in salvation, you ought to, you at least owe it to yourself to know how to be saved. There may come a point in your life at some point in the future where you need to know and understand what the gospel message is, because if God speaks to your heart, uh, you need to respond to him. And the Holy Spirit does indeed speak. I said in the last segment that the Word of God says that the Holy Spirit has to draw us to Jesus Christ. We don't just roll out of bed one morning and decide, hey, I think I'm going to be saved. It's not a name it, claim it thing. Yes, it's simple. It comes by believing in Jesus Christ, but it has to come from the heart. Uh, The Bible says uh, that with the heart, man believeth unto righteousness. So when John 3.16 says, whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life, that's not just a mental belief, that is a heartfelt belief. And that's so important that we understand that. Many people are gonna miss heaven by 18 inches. That's the distance from the brain to the heart. And uh, salvation has to be uh, by faith in Jesus Christ and true faith has to come from the heart. Now, when we get saved, the Bible says that we get a new nature. But the problem that we don't always understand is that the old nature is still, still in us. And so one of the, one of the proofs of, when, you know, we talk about examining ourselves, whether we're in the faith, one of the major Bible evidences of salvation is an inner struggle between two different natures. I don't care how saved you are, how long you've been saved, how close that you walk to the Lord, we all still have that old nature that we were born with, and sometimes it rears its ugly head. We have this battle going on inside of us between the old nature and the new nature. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. This is a true statement, and yet we also realize that the old nature is still there, and sometimes there's a conflict, a contention that goes on. Uh, Listen to what Jesus said in John chapter number 3. I'm sure many of you are familiar with this passage. Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That water, uh, being born of the water, is a water birth. That's the natural birth. But he says that you have to also be born of the Spirit. He says that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I send unto thee, ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof. But canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth, so is every one that is born of the Spirit. The Spirit of God shows up just like the wind. And sometimes it's in response to the preaching of the gospel. Sometimes we've heard the gospel as a child, and then out of the blue, somewhere in our life, that conviction, God shows up and starts speaking to our heart that, hey, you need to be saved. You need to trust my son, Jesus Christ. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And Jesus knew and was teaching that there has to be that time in our life where God shows up 
and we get born again. That spiritual uh, regeneration, that becoming a new creature in Christ Jesus is not just something we learn about in the Bible, but we read about it and it makes sense to us because if we're born again, we've already experienced that. Now, in Romans chapter number 7, Paul talks about this conflict between the old nature and the new nature. Listen to what he has to say. Verse 18, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. Listen, I don't care how long you've been saved, that flesh inside our natural man dwells no good thing. That old nature is never going to be reformed. It's going to stay corrupt until the day of our death or until the rapture takes place when at that point uh, we're going to receive a new body. That old nature is going to be changed into the incorruptible nature that comes from the Holy Spirit of God. And Paul said, for to will is present with me, He said, I I, I have a desire, my will wants to do right, but how to perform that which is good? He said, I find not. For the good that I would, I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. Now, if I do that I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. It almost sounds like Paul's being a little schizophrenic here, like you got two different men. He says, well, I want to do right, but I don't want to do right. Well, that's the way that a Christian lives their life, is that there's something inside of us that's trying to pull us toward sin, but there's also something that's trying to pull us toward God and righteousness. If you are lost, then you you may have a little bit of prick in your conscience when you do wrong. You may be worried about the consequences. You may be worried about getting caught, but you've never experienced the conviction of the Holy Spirit of God When the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of us, and that's what happens when we get born again, then when we sin, something happens that we feel inside of our conscience. And that's why Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 30 says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. I'm eternally secure because, not because of my performance, but because the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of me. I'm going to heaven not because of who I am. I'm going to heaven because of who Jesus Christ is. But the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of me when in my body I do things that God doesn't approve of. When I sin against him, I feel it in my spirit because my spirit is one with the Holy Spirit. And that grief takes place. Uh, I can remember after I got right with the Lord and experienced that uh, filling of the Holy Spirit, if you will. Uh, you know, people use different terminologies. But when I experienced that close personal fellowship with Jesus Christ, I can remember the first time that I messed up. You know, did something that when I got right with God, I said, I'll never do that again. And I did it. And I can remember just how horrible it felt inside, that grief. You know, I didn't lose my salvation, but what I did lose is I lost my fellowship with the Holy Spirit. And so that fellowship was broken. And it's so important that we understand these doctrines because these are so confusing. Some people think when we get backslidden 
that we lose our salvation. I, I don't believe that, folks. Uh, just like I read in Ephesians 4, verse 30, Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. That is our eternal security. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. Ephesians 2, verse number 8, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves... It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So we are saved by the grace of God. It's not something that we have to earn or perform. We can't lose it. But verse 10 of that same passage says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So we are not saved by good works, but we are saved so that we can do good works in order to honor and to glorify our Savior. It's so important that we understand this. Now, one passage of Scripture as we wrap things up for the broadcast here today, and that is Romans chapter 8 and verse number 1. The Bible says here, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. This tells me that there is some condemnation in my life if I walk after the flesh. And I can remember those years in high school when I was walking after the flesh, living in sin, there was condemnation in my life. I mean, I could, in, in my spirit, and in, in my soul was saved, I was on my way to heaven, but boy, there was a lot of condemnation that knowing that God was upset with me, knowing that I had did not have that sweet fellowship with him. Um, it was so important. You know, if you read further on in Romans chapter number eight, it says, if we live after the flesh, we shall die. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. God is long-suffering. He will put up with living in a dirty house for a while, but there will come a time where God says, hey, that's enough. When I got right with God, I knew that my days were numbered if I did not get right with him. Thank God for 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I'm so thankful that I'm saved and I'm so thankful that the blood of Jesus Christ gives me fellowship with my Savior. When I go astray, he always takes me back. He'll do the same for you. God bless you folks. We appreciate you taking the time to join us at Salt and Light. It is our desire that you experience the joy of following Jesus Christ. He loves you and he died on the cross for your sins. He will give you hope, peace, and eternal life if you will repent of your sins and trust him as your savior. You may see yourself as a good person, but you will never be good enough to deserve heaven. You may see yourself as bad, but you can never be too bad for Jesus to forgive you you can call upon him to save you this very moment. If you are a born-again Christian, we want to encourage you to obey Christ's command and be salt and light to those around you. We encourage you to find a Bible-believing church that does not compromise or water down the Bible and get involved serving the Lord. If you have a Bible question or a particular issue you would like us to discuss on Salt and Light, visit our website at templebaptistnc.com click on the salt and light link. Once again, that's templebaptistnc.com. May the Lord bless you. We hope you'll join us again next week.